like I was an animal in a zoo and I thought, you know, today would be a good day to die. Welcome to Murph's Talk. I'm your host, Brian Murphy. I want to welcome our next guest, Tora Buntiger. She was born and raised in traditional Amish in the Midwest, and up to the age of 10, no running water and no indoor bathroom. She graduated from Columbia University in New York City, and today she advocates for Amish women and children's rights, including to overturn the 1972 U.S. Supreme Court case, Wisconsin v. Yoder, decided that Amish children don't have a right to an education past the 8th grade. Tora is also the author of the memoir, Amish Girl in Manhattan. Welcome, Tora. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I want to talk to you about what was it like to be part of the Amish family and to escape as a 15-year-old girl? Um, so obviously, uh, before my escape, I had no reference point outside of, of that experience. Um, and so I will say that I felt like I was an animal in a zoo when non-Amish people would point at the horses and buggies and point at us when we were in town, you know, going to the grocery store, wherever we were, where there were non-Amish people around. Um, and I never understood that as a little Amish girl. Why, why are people pointing at us, strangers pointing at us and so fascinated or curious or sometimes making fun of us, laughing at us? And um, fast forward about 20 or so years later, after my escape, I'm in New York City, um, you know, graduated from Columbia, I go back and um, one of the trips, you know, I go back to Amish country, and I find myself pointing at the horses and buggies and staring at the Amish women and children. You escaped in the middle of the night at age 15. Talk about us why you did that. One of the reasons was that I wanted to go to school past the Amish eighth grade. And so for people who don't know, who might be listening, uh, the Amish required their children to stop school after the eighth grade. And we're also not allowed to, you know, go to high school or college, even as adults inside the practicing Amish community. So that was one reason. Another reason, and, and I will say that was a, a very big part of it because I, I love learning. And um, many years later, uh, when I'm writing my memoir, I realized it's because learning um, was a coping mechanism for um, dealing with, with a very unhappy childhood. Like I did not have a good home life. Um, I had uh, abusive parents to put it bluntly um, and it was a coping mechanism. And another reason, um, even if I had had, uh, you know, a, a good home life, I was very curious. I, I was always asking questions and I was, you know, super philosophical, um, wondering, well, why can't we have a car, for example, but we're, we can pay someone who's not Amish to drive us around in a car. So if we're going to go to hell, if we have a car, why aren't we like 
facilitating non-Amish people's path towards hell by paying them to drive us around? Are they not going to hell? Um, so that was very confusing for me. And it seemed like, you know, there were different rules for different people. There was one set of rules. God made certain rules for us practicing Amish. And then there were other rules or it was unknown what what the the rules were if you weren't um, born and raised Amish. Um, and so one of the classic responses to questions that kids have, I mean, I was not unusual in, in basic questions. I think most Amish kids ask, why can't we have a car? Um, but I, I was unusual. So, so one of the responses is, well, you know, wait until you're older and you'll understand. You know, what, first of all, it's like, well, that's because that's the way it is. That's one of the answers. Another one is because it's always been this way or because that's what we're supposed to do. Another is wait until you're older and you'll understand. And when I got older, <laughs> around, you know, adolescence, 10, 11 years old, 11, 12 years old, now my questions uh, were considered um, signs of rebellion, not being submissive to the rules of the church, to this life that I was born into. And so the response became beatings, you know, punishments. Um, and so I thought, well, the the adults are not giving me satisfactory answers. I did not feel that it was right. It I did not feel it was okay for me to get punished, for me to get beaten for asking questions to things that there should be answers to. If we're practicing this, why can't it be explained satisfactorily? Even at 11 years old and with you know, an eighth grade rudimentary education, not being allowed to question and analyze um, as a kid, you know, not having that education to ask rigorous uh, questions. Um, I was already just thinking that way. So I was just born differently is the short answer to it, just very different. Um, and I felt at that point that by the time I got done reading, you know, this, this Bible, um, I felt that I would be going against what I thought Jesus was teaching if I remained a practicing Amish and that it was upon, like, it was my obligation to not practice the religion to get out of there. And so that was like my moral eth or ethical imperative. It was also a little bit of an assurance that I wouldn't go to hell because that fear of going to hell was you know, over my head from day one, you know, as a kid, you're, um, you know, basically, you know, you, you, grow, you live in fear every day of you might go to hell if you're not perfect, and you don't follow all the rules correctly. Um, the Amish religion is is different um, uh, from a lot of religions in that there's no guarantee that we're going to go to heaven. Um, so there's no, no, I, you know, no concept or belief in that, oh, just say you believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. I mean, that, that's not how we, you know, the Amish religion, um, uh, believes. So we, we think that our best chance at getting to heaven is by remaining practicing Amish, if that's what we were born and raised in. And, um, if we leave that religion, we're definitely going to heaven. But even if we remain, we do everything correctly. Um, we might still go to hell. So that's pretty terrifying for a kid like me who thinks a lot and is super, very philosophical. And so for me, 
you know, having this sort of ethical imperative sanctioned by Jesus made me feel like I, I was assured from not going to hell or at least had a chance of not getting sent. <laughs> well, you, you know, you know, Torah, um, you had to have known that there's going to be repercussions if you left your family. Why don't you talk about that? And when you left at 15, you became this advocate. And, you know, talk about the journey of you leaving and that that mental thought of knowing there's going to be repercussions to being such an advocate of creating Amish Heritage Foundation and writing memoirs. Talk about that journey. It was literally a, a life or death matter because by the time I I was 14 years old, um, almost 15 or, you know, just uh, shortly after turning 15, um, you know, at that point, I, I was desperate. And, and so for me, I, I, you know, I contemplated suicide um, uh, one you know, one one uh, fall when I was out practicing um, uh, to uh, shoot the rifle to go hunting for um, a deer season in the fall, I came back from, you know, my shooting session and uh, it was really peaceful that night. There was just something like the perfect fall evening and um, I was going back to heading back to the house and the thought occurred to me that, oh, wow, I haven't had a fight with with my mother today yet. I haven't gotten a beating yet from my mother. And at that point, I was getting beatings pretty much every day. It was just, you know, something that it wasn't possible to go a day without having that happen. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I don't want to die being angry at my mother for some reason that was important to me. And I thought, to, you know, today would be a good day to die. And um, I put the gun up to my head. And then when I, you know, felt that, that metal on, on my head, um, I, I just had this thought that, oh, I, I want to live. And that was, I don't know where that thought came from, because I, I had not, until that point, I hadn't realized that I had always been thinking in terms of I want to die for the past several years. Um, and the thought of I want to live was not in my vocabulary. And um, so I told myself, okay, no matter how bad it gets, how difficult it is, um, I will keep hanging in there and figure out a way to escape and have a good life, like be happy, you know, whatever that is. Um, and so, yes, of course, like I knew the repercussions, uh, you know, I would have to give up everything. I would have to most likely, um, you know, I might never see my uh, siblings again. I was the oldest of 11, um, by the way. And, um, I, at that time, the oldest of eight, because three were born after my escape. And so, you know, I, I understood that the youngest kids might never even know I exist, or if they know they had an older sister, the only thing they would know or hear about me would be just bad things and how I'm going to hell. Um, I didn't know, you know, would I ever see any other family members, um, you know, like cousins, grandparents, would I ever go back and and see and you know the the community anything so it was really um 
I had to prepare myself mentally for this in the same way that um, somebody who wants to go to Mars today has to prepare that it's a one-way trip you will never return in your lifetime and that's it and so in more ways than one this analogy of crash landing on a different planet is exactly my experience it was from one planet to another completely foreign very little idea of what was waiting for me what the environment would be like and um it was a one-way trip have you heard from your family at all Yes. Yeah. So um, for the first 13 or so years, I um, would go back every once in a while just to uh, for the sake of my siblings. I wanted them to know that they did have, you know, an older sister in case they didn't know about it um, and that I was a good person. And also that if they ever wanted to get out, that here was they they could you know i'm there like uh, they can reach out to me um and and i was surprised that you know my my father let me come back because he um you know my hope had been as this kid who you know just saw it you know her wanted desperately wanted parents especially a father um that you know he would come around and would understand that well even though i did something he didn't want me to he gets it because i i knew that he wanted to leave when he was a kid too so um i just thought he would accept it and and it, it turned out to be the opposite and the only reason that he let me go back um to visit is because that was his opportunity to try to rope me into staying and so it turned out to be um really you know unpleasant experiences you know i but i did it for the sake of my siblings and I had to usually sit there and listen to my father preach at me and yell at me for hours on end <laughs> and um, trying to get me to stay. Yeah. But what's your relationship with the Amish heritage, the Amish religion? What's your relationship? With the religion? Yes. Um, well, I, I'm clearly not practicing the religion. Um, I'm culturally Amish. Um and proud of the good parts of my heritage. Um, but the religion, I, I'm not a religious person. Um, it took me, you know, again, many, many years to sort through all of that <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and sort of like figure out that um, what I was, you know, taught as a kid, you know, was for me, it was pretty, um, it was a, you know, it, it was a brainwashing, you know, I really had to undo that, um, especially the fear of going to hell, you know, that that was had a huge hold on me. Um, and yeah, and so for, for me, and in case anybody's listening, you know, and, and you love religion, it means a lot to you. You know, my view is always as long as you don't harm other people, that's fine, you know, believe what you want to believe. Um, but I myself have gotten to the point where um, I, I don't, number one, you, you don't need to have some sort of religion to be a good person. I mean, humans can be good people without religion. You know, everybody has common sense. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I feel there's nothing there for me useful that serves me religious wise. This is the beginning of a few conversations about what is a, how can we on the outside get involved? And there's several different ways. And 
the ballet that you um, and Joan and I've been part of uh, mm -hmm. created is another way to educate us about the Amish and to understand why this particular case not only affects the Amish, but affects all. And that's an important, we just think, well, this is just the Amish. Mm -mm. This is, everybody's affected by this case. And knowledge is power. And Tora, you have, um, what you've done, you've, over your years, you've used your knowledge to create a opportunity for a safe place. And if you are part of the Amish and you say, I, I want to leave, You've, I, you have an opportunity, you have a place to go. You have a safe place to go. So thank you, Tora Bontrager, for being here and being part of this uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. And, you know, we will have notes. We have the notes of what you just read. You also have, a, you have books. You, you have a book that you wrote, uh, a memoir. Mm -hmm. that I'm going to put that out there also. Uh, you've done a couple other podcasts in the in the past. In 2008, you did a part one and part two that I'm going to put on here too. But okay. you've had a couple of things that you've done that people want to hear who you are and learn more about you and learn more about what you are trying to say. What you're this is this is what we're we're trying to accomplish. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have anything you want to um, say before we leave? Uh, yes, I would say. Um that you mentioned my memoir. So I just want to add that all the um, proceeds of, of the um, book sales go to the Amish Heritage Foundation. So if you know people want to um, support the mission, the cause, that's an easy way to do it. Um, and then I just want to you know also clarify what this um, Amish themed ballet is about is that it really is, it's, a, it's what I call edutainment. It's the perfect blend of entertainment and education. Um, it's the perfect vehicle for the average person to become engaged and be able to have this conversation and um, you know contribute to this national movement that I have been envisioning and working towards. And um, so this is a way for people to get informed and to advocate within their own communities for education to be made a federal constitutional right. Um, that is not um, a, a right for any American citizen. Most people do not know that. Um, and, and then I just wanted to go back to what I read about um, in, in the um, journal article about NASA, what was happening um, with the uh, this uh, moon program. Um, there is a moon scene in the ballet <laughs> and that again was one of these synchronicities that professor joan had no idea about my connection to wisconsin b yoder that i wrote this article talking about the um you know apollo missions um and it was just yeah it's just so serendipitous and and even as a you know Amish kid inside the community, that was one of my dreams. I wanted to visit every country in the world, including going into outer space. So it's just uh, incredible that this is a scene that's in this this ballet by Professor Joan. Well, thank you, Tora Bontrager. She's an advocate, writer, an entrepreneur, educator, all the above. I appreciate you being here, Tora. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for listening to Murphy's Talk. I'm your host, Brian Murphy. 
Have a great day. Thank you.